This morning we continue our series uh, based on Isaiah 61, a prophecy that describes the kingdom of God. The Messiah calls his people to both build and embody and hope for. Uh, In Luke 4, Jesus reads this particular prophecy from Isaiah in the local synagogue and declares that it is fulfilled in him. And that both uh, begins his ministry, but it also expresses what he's come to do uh, for God's people. So Jesus brings the kingdom into our world. He installs it into his children and we uh, build it in our own lives. For the next month or so, we'll be looking at what that means for us today. And this morning, we're looking at how the kingdom of God offers salvation. And if we look back at the first few verses of Isaiah 61, we really see what happens uh, to the man who was waiting to be healed uh, there. He is renewed. He is given uh, joy instead of mourning. He is healed and renewed in ways that he really didn't even imagine. Uh, And so we read from the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 1 to 15, this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to be well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who'd been healed, it's a Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, uh, said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick up, uh, pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ever since the garden... Our God has wanted to restore and heal and make new all that we lost in our rebellion. When humanity sinned, death entered our universe, corrupting every aspect of our existence, including mortally wounding both our body and soul. Since that moment, our God has consistently moved into this world with the resolute intent to save and redeem his children. We see the effects of this determination in our God throughout Scripture when the sick, with no hope of healing, are miraculously made new. In Israel's history, God moves in power to heal those who could not heal themselves over and over again. 
Sarah becomes pregnant despite a lifetime of infertility. Moses heals his sister Miriam. Later, Elisha heals the foreign uh, general Naaman from leprosy. Daniel helps the king Nebuchadnezzar regain his sanity. We find even more explicit promises of healing in the prophets. The Lord declares in Isaiah 33 that no one in living in Zion will say, I am ill. And the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. Looking forward to the kingdom of God, Ezekiel 47, 12 sees fruit trees of all kinds growing on the banks of the river uh, that flows from the sanctuary of God. And it says that their leaves will not wither, nor will their fruit fail. Every month they will bear fruit because the water from the sanctuary of God flows to them. And their fruit will serve as food and their leaves for healing. Of course, the healing Yahweh promises goes far beyond the physical. Far beyond the physical. God doesn't just want to free his children from the consequences of sin in our bodies, eliminating things like decay and death, but restore our relationship with him connecting them to eternal life here and now. He wants to make the whole world, he wants to make you and me new. These ancient promises start to become more of a reality, however, when Jesus begins his ministry. Even non-believers at the time in Roman history that was written down talk about Jesus as a miracle worker who is healing people who had never really been able to be healed before. For any, Israel, any faithful Israelites paying attention to what was happening with this young rabbi, his words and his actions would have resonated on a spiritual level. The healings of Jesus don't just relieve the misery of the afflicted in that moment, but signify something greater, that God's kingdom was coming. That there is a fulfillment of God's Gracious plan to redeem and save all things. Jesus comes, he came to break every chain. And the miracles of his ministry reflect God's plan for our salvation. Every time, go back and when you're reading the Gospels again, go back and every time Jesus heals the sick, every time he gives sight to the blind or tells the lame to walk or even raises the dead to life, uh, look and understand that we are finding a cosmic confirmation. We are seeing a signal, an arrow that points to how God is going to save all people, the whole world, everyone who believes in him. In our gospel today, we hear how Jesus heals a man who had given up on hope. Having entered Jerusalem to celebrate a feast, Jesus instead found a scene of human agony gathering around a healing pool, a mass of people overcome by their desperation and grief. John tells us that near the sheep gate, a pool might be found with healing properties. The locals called it Bethsaida, which in Aramaic means house of mercy. During Roman times, buildings had grown up around it, and there were five porches or kind of ramps uh, that sloped down to the water's edge. 
according to the rules of this particular pool, uh, some mysterious force would sometimes stir the water. It was a little bit vague um, uh, who was stirring the water. Maybe it was an angel or, or God himself. But if the lame or the blind or the sick entered the water in those first moments, some of them would sometimes be healed. That was what the history said. The promise of recovering their health uh, brought people, uh, brought the afflicted from across the region, especially since there was no obligation to help the sick at that time. Remember, most physical misfortune was often attributed to a divine judgment of some secret or hidden sin. The Pharisees asked Jesus in John 9 about a blind man. They say, who sinned? Did this man or his parents that he was born blind? Everybody who suffered then from some kind of physical affliction suffered twice over. They experienced the symptoms of their disease, but also social judgment and estrangement. So the people crowding around this pool waiting for the water to be stirred so they might be healed. There wasn't even an assurance that they would be healed, just the chance that they might be healed were more than desperate. They were left behind by the world. They were more like ghosts, hoping against hope that they might reenter the lands of the living. And so as Jesus and his disciples passed by, they found someone who had been an invalid for 38 years. As a reader, we don't know how or when this man became an invalid. At any age, he could have lost the ability to walk through disease or trauma or some genetic uh, syndrome. We're not sure. All we know is the length of his illness, and that frees us to look at his present and wonder what has this man lost. If he'd been born an invalid... He was 38 when Jesus came to the pools at Bethsaida. He had none of the typical hallmarks of childhood. He never ran or played with friends. If he had younger siblings, he watched them learn to walk, learn to do what he couldn't. If he had parents, they might have died at that point. He might have been alone. If he became an invalid at age 12, he was 50 when Jesus came. How must that have felt? Nearing the golden age of his life, what had he to show for his life but disappointment? He lost everything that youth offered, everything a full life promised. If he became an invalid at age 23, he was 61 when Jesus came. And his future at that point was not put on hold, but canceled. If he were an apprentice, he would have lost his job. If he were engaged to a woman, it would have been called out off for how can an invalid support a wife or family? If he became an invalid later in life at age 40, he was 78 when Jesus came. This means he used to have a normal life, but he would have lost everything that he held dear. He would have seen his solidly built life tumble down, never to be rebuilt. We don't know how old he was. We just know the length of his disease. And so no matter what, no matter his age, decades have been filled with disappointment and despair. He lost the promise 
of a full life. He lost everything we take for granted. The joy of walking down the street or getting out of bed. He lost all of it and more. And by the time Jesus came around, he had lost something even more precious. It seemed that he had lost hope. Of course, losing hope doesn't happen immediately. Like most of us, he became the man Jesus encounters over time. Faced with a life-changing disability, this man would have done probably what a lot of us would have done. Leaving no stone unturned, he sought healing everywhere. He might have pursued wholeness wherever he might find it. If he were Jewish, he would have prayed to Yahweh. But if he had been deemed unclean by the Pharisees, he wouldn't be able to worship in the temple. And how would he get there anyway? He likely went to the doctors of the ancient world to see if they could offer him a cure, but no one could help. Maybe he turned to magic potions or charms, which were common in the day, but those didn't help either. After those failed him, he maybe turned to other gods. Again, we don't know if he was Jewish. By the end of 38 years, this man likely tried everything the world had to offer, but nothing had healed him. Everything had failed. After 38 years of searching for wholeness, 38 years of pining for new life, he lost hope. And so when Jesus and the disciples walk by the pools, they found a man who probably believed healing would never come. Notice John says this man was laying by the pools. He was an invalid, so he couldn't move on his own. But there is a bit of Uh, suggestion that this was a lack of initiative, that he had stopped searching for new life, that he might have been near a chance for healing, but had settled and said maybe it wasn't for him. This man lives into the nature of his disability. He saw himself as the world saw him as invalid. But when Jesus looked at this man, he saw something different. When Jesus looked at him, he saw the potential for restoration. In compassion, Jesus recognized his despair and asks this man, do you want to be well? In other translations, it's do you want to be healed? Listen to his response. He doesn't say, yes, of course, I would love to be healed. That would be wonderful. I want to be whole again. Instead, he says, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. He is saying that his healing has been blocked, that he cannot reach for it. He might as well have said, no, I've tried. No one's going to help me. I've given up. Just leave me alone. Sadly, his answer here echoes our own lives in three ways. First, we're like him because we sometimes fill our souls with things that do not satisfy Like everyone that has ever drawn breath, this man searched his entire life for wholeness and renewal. Like us, he searched far and wide for something to heal his brokenness, filling his heart with everything but God. And we do this, too, in a million different ways. We fill our hearts with everything but God. We fill our hearts with things we think will make us happy but never really do. The latest gadgets add convenience, but, they, but never meaning. 
Our relationships with others, even the good ones, the ones that we feel blessed by, they bring us comfort, but they're never designed to bear the weight of eternal expectation. We search and we search and we search, but we sometimes never find what we're looking for. Early church father uh, Augustine followed this pattern in his own life. He searched and he searched and he searched, but his endless searches left him weary of both the world and his own heart. He was frustrated with himself. After seeking peace and, and meaning and purpose through uh, everything, through excessive pleasure, through a variety of religions and philosophy, through drinking and endless distractions, through the love of other people, he stumbled into faith and discovered a vital truth. He confessed to the Lord, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until they can find rest in you. The man by the pool was like us because he tried what the world offered and he was given nothing in return. Second, we are like him because we sometimes settle for less. The man settled for a half-life when true and full life stood before him. He settled for seeking warmth and light from a flickering lamp when the glorious sun shone above. And we do this too. Because we've been let down too often, because we've been disappointed, we sometimes settle for so much less than the life that God promises in Jesus. Often we simply fail to recognize the promises of God are still available to us today. We, we think that God, we think that God offers only a little bit. We play in the shadows when he invites us into the deep. C.S. Lewis uh, frames our response to God's promise to heal and save us like this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and pleasure and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the street because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. Third, we fail to recognize who asks the question. As a paralyzed man with no help, this man would never have found healing without help. And even when he did find healing, he did not know who it was that healed him. The healing properties of the pool had certain rules. He had to get into the water as quickly as possible once they were stirred by a divine hand. His salvation rested in his own broken body, one that could never bring him closer to what he desired. But when the author of life stood before him, he was blind to the restoration that Jesus offered. We are like this. We sometimes miss that Jesus stands in front of us, that he is inviting us into a deeper relationship, a relationship of full and new life. John Calvin wrote that this diseased man does what almost all of us are wont to do, for he limits the assistance of God according to his own thoughts 
and does not venture to promise to himself anything more than he conceives in his own small mind. Lacking the imagination to comprehend how Christ exceeds our expectations, we underestimate the overwhelming power of our Savior who comes to us with healing in his hands. But praise be to God. Praise be to God that Jesus asks us the same question he asked the man laying by the pool. Do you want to be well? Church, do you want to be well? Jesus asks each of us that question and we must respond because the miracle of this story isn't just a healing. It is a restoration of the man's hope. The promise of an entirely new life on the cross and through his resurrection, Jesus offers us new life that we have only just begun to understand. We do not need to wait by the waters to be healed. Jesus promises much more than we know, more than we can even imagine. He promises us true life. The kind that lasts forever, not just when we die, but for here and now. He promises our daily life, our every moment, our ups and our downs will be joined to him now and always so we can live in the reality of his grace and love and peace and joy. He promises us wholeness even in the midst of a life that seems broken. The way to that life is open and we do not have to wait. This question, though, becomes even more profound when we realize Jesus asks this question to the whole world. The reality of God's love invites us not only into personal healing, but the restoration of our community, our nation, our world. Jesus came not just to heal individuals, but permeate this whole world with new life, to restore what had been lost in the garden. The healing Jesus offers restores humanity's condition so we can step into a brand new way of being. He doesn't just fix what was broken, but he makes us into brand new creations. God's kingdom promises to heal all to bind up the brokenhearted, to exchange our mourning for eternal joy, to help us to our feet when we are sitting in the ashes of our sorrow. We are sometimes still so like this man sitting near the water, waiting for healing to happen in or around us, for the world to get better tomorrow, for someone else to do something, instead of realizing that in Jesus Our position has changed. With the spirits in us, the healing Jesus offers doesn't begin out there, but in people like you and me. The healing of this broken world begins in normal believers doing the kinds of things and living in ways that offer comfort instead of condemnation, hope instead of despair, peace instead of outrage, joy instead of disappointment, truth instead of remedies that will always fail us. 
Where there's discouragement, Jesus asks us to encourage. Where there is brokenness, Jesus invites us to help make whole. Whether this means helping a friend learn to speak or walk again. Or just making sure that no one walks through their struggles alone. Maybe just offering kindness to someone overcome by the chaos of this broken world. We are called not only to be healed, but heal others too. And church, we are free to do this because in Jesus we have already been healed. Every child of the kingdom embodies the answer to that one question, do you want to be healed? Yes, Lord, we do want to be healed because in Jesus, we are healed. And in Jesus, we help heal this world. Amen.